Welcome to Thrive Church Podcast. Join Pastor Kevin Bordeaux as he explores the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day challenges. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Well, how are we doing, Thrive Church? Doing all right. Jack Frost decided to visit us last night here in Central Virginia. Have you noticed? It is cold. Um, thank you, Ed, for putting me in parking duty this morning at 9 o'clock. I appreciate you. I love you, man, for, for doing that. Um, I think I used all my chapstick up uh, between two campuses this morning. Well, good to be with you guys uh, today. I'm Kevin, the lead pastor. If you don't know me, if it's your first time with us, uh, make sure you take your connection card, put it in the blue basket over there beside the TV so we can stay in touch with you. Um, and we're in a series called The Seven. So go ahead and turn your copy of God's Word to Revelation 2.18. Revelation 2.18. And right now, we're actually a campaign called the Expand Campaign over the next several months as we're looking to expand parking and uh, get our side parking lot paved so we can finally get our permanent occupancy permit here at Thrive. Um, we don't have that yet. And so over the next several months, we're actually asking you guys to get one of those little cards in the back and pray over it. There's no manipulation. I'm not going to send you a singing angel. I'm not going to send you any uh, you know, special anointing oil if you give. I'm not going to have a special place for you to sit um, if you give to the Expand Fund. Uh, but I do know this that when we invest into uh, the things of God, that's eternal impact. And see, God's not concerned about building buildings. God doesn't want to use people to build buildings, but he will always use buildings to build people. And so I want you to realize that. So if you give to that and to give to that fund for we can finally get the side parking lot paved, once we get the occupancy permit finished, we can then redo the footprint of this church. Um, meaning that we can, uh, my heart's to do a whole state-of-the-art youth, children, classrooms area over there. Um, we have the temporary walls up now. I'd like to make that state-of-the-art, get a kitchen here at this church, um, some bathrooms over there for those guys. And really the focus will be on that side and parkings. Our two biggest issues at Thrive are parking and kids' ministries. That's why we went to two services last year. I could cram y'all in this place if I wanted to as adults. We couldn't cram the kids in there. Um, and so that's our heart to have more space for people. I would hate for you to show up at Thrive and not have a place to sit. That's why we went to two services. So by expanding, we can also um, increase the ability for more people. Just pray about that. Um, as you're on your way out today, you can grab one of those cards. And if it's a dollar, it's fine. If it's two dollars, that's fine. Whatever God leads you to do. Um, it's 40000 for the whole project. So if God leads you to write a $40,000 check, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm joking with you. I'm joking. Um, no, actually, I'm not, but, but I am. But seriously. <laughs> Revelation uh, 2.18. We've been in a series now on the seven churches of Revelation. And this week, we're in week five, the church of Thyatira. And the whole idea today is, is love is not tolerance. And so I just want to speak to you about the difference between tolerance and love. And that's what the church in Thyatira dealt with. And here's what G.K. Chesterton said about tolerance. He said, tolerance is the absence of conviction. Uh, Chuck Colson said this in, in a book that he wrote by quoting Dorothy Sayers. And he says that tolerance is the sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, but watch this, lives for nothing, but remains alive because there is nothing for which it will die. 
See, love and tolerance are totally different things. And in the church at Thyatira in the first century, they were dealing with this exact issue. Now, last week we talked about Pergamum. As I said about Pergamum, it was like Las Vegas. It was Sin City, baby. I mean, Jesus said that the nickname for that place was where Satan's throne lies. He even called it Satan City. Now, I don't know about you, that's a bad nickname for your city if you live there, right? Um, Here, Thyatira is much more like a New York City. And the reason that we know that is, is because Thyatira Thyatira was known for its fashion design. In Acts 16, if you were here during our Philippians series a couple summers ago, we talked about a lady, lady named Lydia. And Lydia was a seller of purple. Now what does that mean? It means she was a fashion designer. And she helped Paul greatly in his ministry. And so she had a house in Philippi and a house in Thyatira. It was also a place of, of a melting pot culture. Trade routes came through Thyatira and you, it was almost like, like you would have like a New York there of many different cultures and religions. Now what that, the, the, the problem that posed for the church in Thyatira was this. They were really pressed in how do you work in a diverse culture with diverse people and love them with the gospel and bring them to Jesus. I believe today we would face the same questions here in our country and in our world. And so I want us to read in Revelation 2.18. And let's see what Jesus has to say to the church at Thyatira. Now, real quick, asterisk. Let me put an asterisk in here. See, that's the asterisk. Whatever that is, asterisk. Um, This is a pretty hard message Jesus gives. The reason we teach verse by verse a lot here at Thrive is this. I can't skip around the tough parts. Right? Um, If I just teach topical and I give you one verse and then I just preach the rest of the time, I can dance around and teach you what I want to teach you. But Jesus really nails it home here and we're teaching verse by verse. I got to deal with some of this stuff. And as I said several months ago, it's like grandma's medicine. You don't know what it is, but you you, you take it down. It's like grandma would make this medicine. She wouldn't tell you what it is. Um, And then you would be better the next day, even though it was nasty when you took it. Just take this in and and let Jesus do his work in you. Revelation 2.18, let's start reading. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Remember, in every one of these introductions, Jesus shows himself, not as little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus in a manger, but he shows himself as the ruling and reigning God of the universe. Last week, he had the brave heart sword. Do you remember that? He had the sword. It's like, I told you that I don't really know what that means. I know it means business. If somebody has a sword, it's like, hey, I mean business. And so today, Jesus means business also. But here's what he says, first of all, to him in verse 19. Here's the encouragements. I know all the things you do. Now, he said that previously to the other churches. Can I encourage you today that Jesus knows everything going on in your life? He knows every thought that, that, that you have thought this week. And no, he's not mad at you and ready to, you know, cut you off. He knows. He understands. He's intimately involved. And he knew what was happening at that church there at Thyatira. He says, I've seen your, watch this, I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. That's some good adjectives to describe what somebody's doing, right? Action verbs there, it's good. Love, patience, that's a good church, isn't it? 
wouldn't you like to be part of a church that is known by these things? That's pretty awesome. And so he, he tells them, I, I, you're doing good things for the community. Your food ministry, you're doing, you know, honor, serve, give. You're doing all that stuff. Um, but watch what he says. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. So they were improving and being a good church. Thyatira probably had a lot of social justice ministries. You know, they probably, you know, clothed the, 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 the naked and they probably fed the poor and they did good things in their community. They were a church with really good deeds, but you'll find out they had really bad doctrine as well. Now look at this in verse 20. And this is where uh, Jesus is not eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, as Ricky Bobby said in a manger, but he's actually Jesus reigning and ruling. He says, you are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. Now, now let me just say this. This is the issue of the New Testament. If you want to do a New Testament survey, this is it. In Acts 15, um, the, the Jews were figuring out, how, what, what do Gentiles need to do to be saved? They've asked Jesus to, to be the Lord and Savior. They've repented of their sins. They've been baptized. What do they need to do? And so some Jews said, all Gentiles, and that's non-Jewish people, need to obey all 613 laws. That's a lot of work, isn't it? Right, we have a problem just obeying 10, right? <laughs> so imagine 613. That's a lot of work. And so uh, what happens is in Acts 15, Peter, James, and John, the, the big three, all get together with the council of people and they decide, after seeing God work in the Gentiles' hearts, that really what Gentiles should do is abstain from food offered to idols and abstain from sexual morality and then from things strangled with blood and uh, that's weird, so just don't do that anyway. I don't know why somebody would mess with things strangled with blood, whatever that really means. But um, the big Two were food offered to idols and sexual morality. What was the complaint last week, boys and girls? The same thing, right? So you're seeing this over again, and so you have a false teacher teaching people, it's okay, go for it, God wants you happy. Now look at verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Now this is not a lady named Jezebel in the church, do you know that? Okay, 800 years earlier in 1 Kings 16.31, there was a, a, a lady named Jezebel who was married to King Ahab. King Ahab was a wicked king. Um, she was a wicked wife. And they both together pushed the people of Israel to worship false gods. That was their whole goal. Get them away from worshiping the one true living God. So Jesus compares this lady in Thyatira, whoever she is, to, uh, to Jezebel. And it's probably a group of people in that church that were teaching this. And they were, again, um, teaching them there that you could, sexual morality is fine. God wants you happy. God doesn't expect you to be holy. Oh, worship demons, dude. Go to the temple of Zeus. That steak's been offered up to him. It's been a sacrifice. It's cool. Eat it. Nobody, I mean, God, God doesn't really care. And so that's what they were teaching. And Jesus, and I want you to watch this here. Jesus wasn't mad with the people who were trying to follow him in that church. He was mad at the false teachers who were perverting people and leading people astray. And I want you to realize something when it comes to cults that are perverting perverting the Bible. Jesus doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. Um, he's, he's not cool with people perverting the word of God and it was happening there in the first century and it's happening 
uh, you know, even this day and time, there's guys on bikes and people who go door to door. You know, actually, there was a, a cult in our neighborhood the other day trying to pass out the watchtower stuff, you know, and they were passing out, knocking on doors. I said, uh, guys, this is actually, uh, um, you know, this neighborhood, you're, not, you're actually not welcome here. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I, and I, I pray that, you, that God won't let you back in this community anymore because you're perverting the teachings of the Word of God. I said, matter of fact, I'm going to call the cops on you. Because you're, you're, you are soliciting at my door and you shouldn't be doing that in our neighborhood. And guess what? There's no more of them in our neighborhood. Perverting the gospel. Perverting the Bible. And uh, you got to realize that I love them. But I love my neighborhood enough that there's not some person down the road who doesn't know a lot about scripture letting these jokers come in and teach them perversion of scripture. You're like, man, you're a mean pastor. No, I, I love, you'll find out the difference between tolerance and love. Now look what Jesus says to these, these false teachers. So this is pretty serious. And Take a sigh. Go. No, seriously. Just don't do it in your neighbor's face if you didn't brush your teeth real well or had lots of coffee. But here's what Jesus says. I'm going to sit down while I share this uh, you know, here. He says, therefore I will throw her on a bed of suffering and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. Now this is not the normal Joe Schmo in church struggling and just trying to follow Jesus. You know, he's connected to a small group. He's confessing. He's getting people to help him. He really wants to. These are false teachers perverting the gospel. So don't get scared if you're just struggling here. Like dude, look, <laughs> I'm struggling and this scares me to death. Realize here, um, there's a difference between struggle and perverting the gospel and teaching these things. He says, I will strike her children dead. This is Jesus, not me. Don't, don't look at me like that. Come on now. Then all churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. I will give to each one of you what you deserve. Jesus promises judgment to these false teachers. Now I know that's harsh. Welcome to Thrive Church. I hope you're encouraged. But I want you to see here that Jesus was not, not grateful, thankful, or happy that there was false teachers teaching false doctrine from the pulpit. Now here's what he says here to the rest of the church. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. He puts in parentheses deeper truths. Actually, they call them the depths of Satan. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. That's the rest of the believers there in Thyatira. He's just encouraging them, man. Hang on. You've not followed this false junk. You've not followed um, you know, the, the culture, but you're following the Bible. Just hang on. And look what it says about victory. Verse 26 says, To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I'll also give them the morning star. Now what that means for you and I is this. When you reject a sin lifestyle, when you reject um, unbiblical things in your life and you want to live set apart to Jesus and you do that, there's an authority that rests on your life. And not authority where you speak in a deeper voice like Barry White. It's not like you sound like James Earl Jones reading the Bible either. As I said before, uh, when I listened to the Bible on tape, when I got saved, it was James Earl Jones and it was awesome. And he sounds like he has a lot of authority. But you won't be speaking like that. What that means is this. When you set yourself apart to serve God, when you say, Lord, I'm, I'm all in for your kingdom, 
no matter what it costs me, there's a certain anointing that rests in your life that you can go into any situation and see change happen in it. That's what that means in your life. God will give you that authority where you can be at a job where everybody acts like fools and you can go in there and change the atmosphere. You can go in there and bring authority into a situation like that. Look what verse 29 says. He says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now, what I want to do today is try to help us understand what Jesus will be saying to us today. And here's the big takeaway. Write this in your notes. It should be in there's your main point. Love is not tolerance. Love is not tolerance. In other words, don't ever confuse tolerance and love. In in that day and time, they were permitting, Jesus used the word verse 20, permitting the same word as tolerate this lady to come in and teach false doctrine to people. And they thought they were being good. It's like, well, let her teach. I mean, she's nice and I I know she's a little off and I know it's weird, but come on. I mean, you know, we're supposed to tolerate. And they didn't understand the difference between tolerance and love. And let me tell you something. In our generation and where we're at, if you're a follower of Christ, you've got to know the difference between tolerance and love. Because we're in a generation that says, well, aren't, aren't you tolerant? Aren't you tolerant of other people? Aren't you tolerant of this? Aren't you tolerant of that? But here's the difference. Tolerance doesn't want to change anything. Tolerance doesn't want to get involved. Tolerance believes there can't be transformation. If you think about it, love does believe that. Love says, you know what? You can change. You can be different. You can pursue what God has for you. Love and tolerance are two different things. The greatest example is a child. Imagine you have a child who likes to punch kids in the head at daycare. All right? So little Billy, I don't know if any of your kids are named Billy. If they are, I'm sorry. And I didn't, I mean, please don't send an email. It's not pointed to your kid. If your kid's punching kids in the head here, I don't know about it. Um, that's our children's ministry decision. But here's the deal. Imagine your kid's punching kids in the head. He loves it. It's like, bap. <laughs> and he just loves it. All day long, he's just giving knots to kids in the head. And the daycare director comes and says, little Billy is punching kids in the head. And he likes it. And you're like, oh, isn't that great? It makes them happy. You know, at, and at our core, Miss Daycare Director, we should do what makes us happy. And that makes little Billy happy. And so we should just tolerate little Billy doing this. How, how foolish is that? Have you lost your mind? I mean, think about it. But that's what tolerance teaches. What love teaches is this, little Billy, get your butt over, let me grab you, wanna, and you drag a little bit, and you talk to, and see, you start talking through your teeth to little Billy, you know it's serious when you talk through your teeth. Like parents, right? <laughs> me and my wife had this thing, like, you know, I'm like, you, don't you talk to me like that, and we just, we just talk to our teeth, that means we're really serious, that's when you're serious. See, love talks through his teeth. Get over here, if you punch somebody else in the head, I'm going to punch you in the head. <laughs> Now, if you're against physical, I'm not advocating that. I'm just, I'm, I'm just making a joke there. Uh, but realize love steps in. Love says, you know what? There's a better way of life. There's a better way of living. You don't have to do that. That's what love does. And I want to talk to you today, the next few minutes we have, about three truths of tolerance that we find here at the church at Thyatira. Three truths of tolerance. The first one's simple and it leads off what we talked about last week. False teaching leads to immoral 
living. False teaching leads to immoral living. How do you know if there's someone on TV, whether it's Christian or whether it's normal stations or whatever, or a book that you're reading, that it's really birthed by, by God? Does it lead you to a greater sense of holiness in serving God? Or does it teach you that God wants you to be happy over being holy? See, being holy has been set apart for the Lord. Setting your life apart. Ringing yourself up for the gospel. But see, in our culture, we're taught that God wants you above everything else to be happy. But can I tell you that a lot of the things that we dabble in don't make you happy. Friends, I did every drug you could imagine. When I went to East Carolina University, I lived in debauchery. I, I, was, I was the worst of the worst. I just eventually got kicked out and they said, you can never come back to this college again. And can I tell you, snorting cocaine, drinking whiskey, smoking all the marijuana, that didn't make me happy. That didn't make me happy. We, we do what makes you happy. That's not a biblical teaching. You need to do what makes God happy. You need to live in holiness to the Lord. And when you set yourself apart from Him, He will use you greatly. But you have to line your beliefs up with the teachings of Scripture to see that happen. See, beliefs drive behavior. I said this last week, let me say it again. Uh, your values and beliefs will drive your behavior. If you find somebody who cannot live congruent with the gospel, it's always this and that. If you sit down and evaluate core beliefs of where they're at on certain issues, I guarantee that their beliefs don't line up with Scripture. And so the first thing you want to do is help them. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what God says. Okay? Now it's going to help you by believing that. That will change your behavior. You start with that first. You start with right teaching. Teaching leading to right living. For instance, any football fans in the house? Okay, the rest of you, I pray for you because you are really missing out on the greatest things on planet Earth. I will be snoring and listening to football at the same time this afternoon. But I played football for seven years in school and I played offensive line. Yes, I did. And, and, and I, uh, you know, we had to get down here and hit, hit the sled. You know, you guys remember hit, hitting the sled? Remember that? I hated the sled. I hated it. It was the worst thing ever. So practice time of the sled was terrible. So what our coach did was, he didn't say, you need to hit that sled harder, change your behavior. He sat us down and talked to us about the importance of what this drill would do when we're blocking real people. And so we bought into his, his, his beliefs and values first. We said, all right, cool, I got that. I'll hit the sled now because I see the value in it. Until people understand the value, until people understand those things, they'll never change their behavior. And so if you're ever wondering if you have issues with, with life and you're struggling in an area, it's your core values and beliefs that are driving that. Here's the second point. What you tolerate, you cannot change. What you tolerate, you cannot change. See, they were tolerating false teachers instead of loving them. They weren't speaking to them and encouraging them that, man, you know, your teaching's not um, lining up with the Word of God. This is not the Word of God. And friends, we have a choice. And listen to me. Either you will change your life according to the Word of God or you'll try to change the Word of God to fit your life. Uh, Thomas Jefferson cut out the pieces in the Bible he didn't like. So he could try to find a Bible that was relevant to his life and what he wanted to do. So he was trying to change the Word of God. And without a conviction, you cannot have a cause to live for. Convictions birthed from Scripture produce a life worth living. The reason that I'm doing this right here is not because I need a job. 
There's a lot of easier things to do. When I drove a front-end loader for SW Concrete, that was I, I dream of some days I can go back and just you know, drive a front-end loader. It was awesome. I do this because I have a conviction that I believe God can transform people's lives. I believe the gospel can change lives. And until you have a conviction about something, you will never live that out. What you tolerate, you can't change. Think about Daniel in the Bible. Remember when Daniel was sent to Babylon? He's a good little Jewish boy. He was sent to Babylon. I mean, in the first and second chapters, they try to change his name to Belteshazzar, to the Babylon name. He said, I'm not changing my name to Belteshazzar. Forget that, I'm Daniel. And he would not eat their meat or drink their, their wine. He said, I don't want that sacrifice to idols. I will live and be holy to God and I'll be set apart to God. And if you read the first chapter, uh, Daniel ended up at the end of denying those things. The very leader said, come on board, dude. I need you as my second child. I need you on the team. Because he refused to live according to the way of the culture. He knew what God's word said. He knew what, what it meant. He would not kneel his knee down to a false god. He said, I'm going to stand up for what God wants me to stand up for. And he was given favor. He didn't tolerate. And the beautiful thing is, this young boy changed Babylon. Changed it. See, if, and he, but he didn't tolerate. It's all oh, just Babylon. That's just what they do. That's just, that's just what they, they do. I, I don't get very involved in that. See, love challenges. Love will step in. Tolerance doesn't. And what you tolerate, you can't change. I mean, how many of you, pa- are you parents in here? Okay. I, I'm going to be a parent in February 14th. I've got a little baby boy in the way. Um, and I can promise you that, that I won't let him do this. But are there any parents in here, and let's just be honest, that you let your kid play in Chippenham Parkway in the middle of the street? Anybody? If you raise your hand, then... then we... Anybody in here? No one, right? I mean, could you imagine... Like little, let's see little Billy again. He's just been an example all day today at both campuses. He's he's the example, whoever he is. Um, but imagine that little Billy's like, Mom and Dad, I love to play in traffic. It's so fun. Like when the big trucks come, I go, whoo, and they fly by, and it's just, ah, oh, I love it. And and you know, and oh God, it's just awesome. And then Mom sits out in a little chair, and she's sitting there with her, her glass of water, and she's watching, and she's like, Yeah, it's good, good. That's crazy, isn't it? See, I have a saying to our staff, don't let me play in the street. <laughs> so d- don't, okay, if, if, if you see cars coming, tell me. Um, see, tolerance would say, oh, but it makes them happy. Let them play in the street, it's fine. That's what life's about, right? Being happy. That's what, see, that's what to- love goes and snatches him up by the murk of his neck and drags him in the house and says, boy, don't play in that street no more, Right? That's what love does. Love challenges. Love steps in, whereas tolerance will watch you get run over and be okay with it. It's okay they got got run over. And here's the third and final point this morning. Tolerating can eventually cost us our lampstand. Jesus rebukes many of the churches in, in, in their, this, this rebuke. I'll remove your lampstand. As we said before, every church that's birthed by God, and, and I believe most Christian churches are. Some are birthed in rebellion, but God can still use it. Um, are birthed by God. There's a lampstand that's there. That means there's favor and there's grace and there's an ability to reach the community and see lives transformed and they're given that. But Jesus says, I'll remove your lampstand. When you allow 
tolerance to go on in a church. I believe Jesus gets to the point he'll take that lampstand and remove it. Well, the church is no longer effective. No longer um, do you see God's hand of grace on it. No longer do you see those things. And why is that? Why would Jesus do that? Because if the church doesn't live in love but lives in tolerance, you will never see transformation in people's lives. Think about that. If, if, if I just tolerate, oh, it's fine, who cares? The church should be the main place of love. We put our arm around people and say there's a better life for you. There's a calling for you. There's potential in you. God wants to use you. And see, God loves you the way that you are, but he'll never leave you the way that you are. He loves you just as I am, just as I am, as the old hymn said. But he'll never leave you just as you are. He will call you to higher heights, deeper depths, because he sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. We don't have a God that tolerates. We have a God who loves and a God that does want our best and a God that will pull out the things in our life that need to be pulled out. Let me close with this story this morning. I was sharing this with staff this week, and one of the staff knew this girl but didn't know the story. It's the story of Candace the Buddhist. And we were in a small town in Elberton, Georgia, doing youth ministry. And there was a, a in our youth ministry, uh, you know, they're all in the marching band. There was a young girl in the marching band who was a Buddhist. And in a small town in, in southern Georgia, I mean, it's not hard to point that out. It's not like you're in the metro Richmond area, right? But the kids of our youth ministry didn't condemn her, didn't trash her, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't go after her in that way. But I tell you what they did. They loved her. And they told Candace about Jesus and what the difference Jesus had made in their life. And she was like, that sounds really interesting. And then she began to see the change that had happened in her life. And then she got really interested. So she decided to come to a youth service on a Sunday night. And Candace came to our youth service and one of the, our students in there, a um, young girl, went and just, yeah, during worship, put her arm around her. They knew each other. She said, I just want to pray for you. She prayed for her. And then I didn't see Candace for several more months. I was like, hey guys, what happened? Because, you know, um, we, you know we, we had been praying for Candace and she came to youth service. What happened? They said, well, I don't know. I, th- I think she got freaked out a little bit. Well, several months later, we do a youth lock-in, like the one we're doing Friday here. We did this youth lock-in. We had a big worship service and, and kids are worshiping Jesus there and all that. I gave, I gave the altar call for salvation. And afterwards... They said, hey, James said, hey, Candace wants to talk to you. She's here. I said, yeah, I'd love to. She said, Pastor Kevin, I gave my life to Jesus tonight. She said, you know, the, the kids here didn't condemn me, but they told me Jesus was real. I saw it in their life. She said, and you know what? I came to your youth service several months ago, and I felt the presence and power of God in that church. She said, I'd done Zen meditation and the Buddhist practices, and I never felt anything. And when, when, when I experienced God, it scared me. It really, so I, I began to search my heart, and the more I searched, the more I understood that Jesus was real. And friends, let me tell you, it came because there were people that loved her and just didn't tolerate her. There were people who saw her playing in the street and said, hey, we love you. We'll put our arm around you. We care for you. You see, love is not tolerance. Love is when you step in and you share truth because you know someone has more potential in 
them. I, I have a certain practice, and I'm not going to tell you because you will. You be, no, I, I just can't tell you what. It's not this. It's not. It's not sin. Not sin at all. But to my wife, it's sin. Might as well be sin to her. What I do. And she's like, she tells me all the time, stop doing that. She even has a code word for me to stop doing this thing that I do. We're, we're out together. And, you know, we talked. She said, honey, I said, make it so annoying you saying that. She said, yeah, but I love you enough. You don't need to be doing it. It just looks foolish. And you'll never know what it is. I promise you. Only me and her do. But she has this code word. She says, I love you enough, honey, just to share that with you. And that's love. Tolerance is like, I don't care what you do like a fool. I don't care. I mean, that's, that's not love. Um, that's, that's tolerance if, if you don't step in and you don't, and you don't care. Friends, God wants to use you and use me to change this world. But if we live lives of tolerance, we have no authority. We are not a lampstand. But when you decide to love biblically, and this church decides to love biblically, anybody who walks in this door is welcome. As old song, just as I am. I'll tell you something. If you hang around Thrive long enough, you will leave a changed person because Jesus changes lives. You know why? Because the Bible says God is love. It doesn't say God is tolerance. And never confuse those two. Don't you stand to your feet this morning? As you stand to your feet, don't you just bow your head and close your eyes.